when Ben asked me to read from the book of Luke this morning, I couldn't help but immediately think I would really love to channel the voice of Linus this morning from Charlie Brown Christmas. I, I love the airtime that that gets every season to penetrate really the callousness, you know, uh, and the commercialism, and uh, it's powerful. But alas, I woke up this morning, my voice is at least two octaves too low, and, um, and I can't convey that sense of innocence. So we're looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. You'll find that on page 855 in the uh, rack Bibles in front of you there. So Luke 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write in an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be a great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Thanks, Craig. Let me begin with 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 and following. Have no fear nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Every time I read that verse, I ask the question of myself, do I have the kind of hope that is noticeable, that someone might even ask about, a hope that stands out in a world that is often full of hopelessness, like light shining in the darkness. God expects his people to be filled with hope, not, not as much as a discipline as if we could simply choose to be hopeful people, but as a result, ultimately, a result not of our circumstances, to be sure, but of knowing and believing God's promises. A result of being filled with the Holy Spirit who reminds us continually, if we will allow him to, the promises that Jesus has spoken and fulfilled. That's where our hope comes from. And especially this time of year, are we a people of hope? And I'm speaking of the Advent season, to be sure, as we're reminded with the candle of hope that because Jesus has come, he's coming again. There's no greater hope than that. But this season, there's also a parallel, isn't there, as we are, I know, counting down the days. How many of you are counting down the days? Right, December 21st. The day past the winter solstice. When it starts getting lighter again. I know we joke about that every year, and in some ways it's not a joke. We're pretty certain that's going to take place, isn't it? We're pretty confident that it will get lighter again. In this season, sometimes it feels like that's not going to happen. But for us, we have confidence because it has happened, it will happen again. And so the parallel of being people of hope that proclaim Jesus is coming because he has come, his promises will be fulfilled because they have been fulfilled We are people that proclaim that, hopefully, in many ways at many times. Sometimes we can't do it with our words, we do it with our life. But again, do we have that hope that is noticeable? That when people ask, if they would ask, we are ready with the defense. Our defense is pointed to Jesus and who he is and what he has done. He's the answer. Let's now read from Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That was about 700 years prior to the events we heard read from Luke chapter 1 when Gabriel showed up to Zechariah on that day. You know, there's an already and not yet fulfillment of all the promises throughout Scripture, especially when we read in the Old Testament the promises, the prophecies of the coming Messiah. There is still an already and not yet, an already fulfilled and a not yet fully realized because Jesus has come and he is coming again. This voice in the desert crying has already been fulfilled in John the Baptist, and yet it's still being fulfilled as we, the church, now are that voice crying to a desperate world, trying to prepare the way of the Lord's coming again. 
Jesus has come and the glory of the Lord has been revealed and yet he will come again in glory and all flesh will see. So you see the already and not yet reality as we need to be reminded as we look at these events that were truly the fulfillment of so much hope of Israel, we now have even a greater hope as we look forward to his coming again. It's good to be reminded not only because we forget but because we can become so distracted Distracted of the other voices in our world or the earthly glories that are on display. So Lord Jesus, renew our hope this morning and in this season if it is lacking. Remind us of your promises if we have forgotten. Build our faith if it, if it is waning. Fill us and bless us and not just one day but today. Make us shine like light in the darkness. God answered that prayer for Zechariah, even if that's not exactly what he prayed. God answered his prayers in an amazing way. The angel Gabriel said, I've heard your prayers have been heard. Here, this man, this faithful, righteous man, one who had endured, even though his life hadn't turned out like he had hoped, or maybe even had, had he dreamed. There were certainly long seasons of his life where he doubted God's goodness and faithfulness. Perhaps he even wondered if God was punishing him in some way for something he didn't know about, even though he was faithful to, to bring sacrifice. When it says that he and his wife were blameless according to the law, they were upright, they were righteous. Not that they were perfect or sinless, but they followed the law and they brought sacrifices at the appointed time into the temple for their sins. They walked blamelessly. And yet he must have wondered if God had overlooked him, ignored him, or even worse, was punishing him for something he did not know about. Why else would God not have answered a simple request, a good request, a God-given desire to have children, or at least a child? And God seemed to say no to them, because now they are past, they are advanced in years. It's a nice way of saying they are, they are old. They're past the Childbearing years for sure. That, that hope of a family, of a child of their own was gone. And yet they've remained faithful. They've come out of the other side of that spiritual wandering, of that desert kind of experience, of that wrestling with the Lord. Why, Lord? How, why, uh, this, isn't, this doesn't match with my heart's desire, which I think is of, of you. Anyone relate to that? Being in seasons of Dryness or wandering or questioning, wondering of God's faithfulness or his presence. It seems that Zechariah and Elizabeth have come out the other side. There they are, still faithfully serving the Lord, walking according to his statutes. They haven't cast them away and ignored them because they thought he ignored them. They turned their attention to God and remained faithful God always wants to grow our faith, to refine and to strengthen it, to mature it beyond trust in earthly desires, but into him alone, into his will and his ways. Romans 5, verse 1 and following, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we will even rejoice in our sufferings, our losses, 
because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. That certainly describes Zechariah and Elizabeth, that journey of faith of going through times of suffering and loss to see yet God's faithfulness and to have their hope yet built. Their hope may have changed from an earthly hope to a bigger eternal hope. And we're all kind of in that journey in our life, somewhere along the journey. Maybe all of our earthly desires and dreams, and not all earthly desires and dreams are are wrong, like having a, a child or a family, having some sense of security and in what God has asked us to do, being faithful in the work he's given us, being able to serve and bless others, being able to be in a place where we can be generous givers, earthly desires. And for some of us, those are all before us. That potential, that hope is limitless, ultimately, in the seasons that we're in. God has maybe uh, been gracious to you in tangible ways, and you see so much more yet ahead. Others of us are probably somewhere in the middle of that journey. The hopes and dreams, and maybe we wouldn't even have called them dreams, but pictures of our future, of times ahead that looked a certain way, had a certain narrative to them. And at minimum now, in the season that we're in, those hopes are flickering. We're wondering if there's even time left for them. We would say or pray things like, Lord, I thought by now my life would look very different. I thought these prayers and dreams that I've had, these longings were from you. At least I know that they're a, a part of your heart. I look and I see others being, being blessed in these ways that I've longed for and they give no regard to you. You see those dreams or that hope is flickering. And then for others, you're much more like Zechariah and Elizabeth. You are advanced in years, and some of your hopes or dreams have been fulfilled, maybe not in the exact way you thought, maybe better, according to the Lord's will. But there's others that have died. There's others that have not come about at all. And so you've grieved. You've grieved their loss, and perhaps come through the other side, still proclaiming God's goodness, that he had a different storyline It's kept you looking to him and it's keeping you on your knees in prayer and trust. And so God be praised. And see, some of us are going through those wilderness times yet again. It becomes a journey that we have to continue to walk. Lord, keep us faithful. Keep us trusting even in your goodness and faithfulness when it's not our storyline. And for Zechariah and Elizabeth, God reminded them in a pretty powerful way that he had not forgotten them. He had not failed his promises. He had not left them nor forsaken them. He was bringing about their good, even if it was in a way that was different than they ever expected. See, we're the ones that forget and wander and define good in our own terms, but God has not forgotten. He's not forgotten you, whatever stage of that journey you're in. He is faithful to be at work even when you don't see him. How are you responding? Are you responding similarly to 
Zechariah, still faithfully serving to the best of your ability, even when you look at your life and still shake your head and maybe you have grieved, but certain things remind you and that grief returns. God is about to work in a way for Zechariah and Elizabeth that they could not have even imagined, far beyond answering their prayer in a much bigger way. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or even think, even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory, both in his church and in us, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Paul is pointing us to that hope, a hope that is deeper, a hope that is grounded, that it may not look like in our own life, but remember, we have a God that will answer and can answer in ways that we could never imagine, beyond any, anything that we've even prayed for. Now, to be sure, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is not prescription. Simply remain faithful all your days. Remain righteous and blameless. Serve the Lord continually, and eventually, he will fulfill all of your earthly dreams and desires. That's not the storyline. Some earthly dreams and desires are never met. They will die. We will grieve. Life is full of suffering. And yet that does not mean that we can't draw hope from this. Even if it's a description of God's faithfulness, it shows us his heart. It shows us his ongoing presence, his faithfulness to his promises, and that he's not done working. And so I'm not advocating a blind faith or some foolish hope but a grounded faith and a mature hope that sees far beyond our own circumstances. The eyes of faith see the God who moves mountains, who parts seas, who calms storms, who opens wombs, who rescues the oppressed, who delivers those in bondage, and so we say, God, it is who you are and it's what you've done, so do it again. Both in my life, but even more importantly, in your church, in your bride, and in this world for those that do not know you, do it again. That's the eyes of faith that have grown over years as he gets our perspective onto who he is. So even if you feel that God's hand has been against you, or perhaps worse, that he has overlooked you, ignored you, passed over you, though you've been faithful, you've strive, striving for righteousness, no, certainly not perfectly, but as you measure against Others or those in the world that have received the very blessings that you've longed for and prayed for without any regard to God, you say, Lord, I don't understand. You bring that feeling, those emotions to him. And if that's you, I do present to you Zechariah and Elizabeth as a reminder, as a hope. The desire for children is a good thing, a God-given thing. It, it, in that, and it still is today, but if in that culture, for a woman unable to have children, it was considered in some ways a reproach from God, a curse. 
against them. They would live with that their, all their days. Even Elizabeth admits that in this passage. My reproach was removed from me, my shame. She lived with this shame as if she was lesser. As if God had cursed her or overlooked her. Not true, but they wrestled. Just like we can today when it seems that God is overlooking us for these good desires, even desires to be able to serve or have something in a family or a marriage or uh, ability to be generous and they're we're overlooked and we say, Lord, why? And we long for with a good heart. It reminds us a little bit of Rachel. You remember Rachel, wife to Jacob? She said in Genesis, 20, in Genesis 30, give me children or I shall die. That was her angst at her barrenness. Jacob responded to her, which was a common belief. Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Now, certainly God had his own timing and plan and was at work also for Rachel. That's a common storyline throughout Scripture. Just when the longing is most desperate, just when one comes to a place of trusting in God fully is when he fulfills and delivers. Not having children also in that, in that culture meant a couple things. No legacy. Your name starts to fade from history no legacy to pass on to influence the next generations. On the flip side, it means that your end-of-life strategy must change. It's tenuous at best. No Medicare or Medicaid or Social Security. Your children were that for you. So without children, uh, your worries and your anxiety coming to the ends of life were heightened. The desire of children is a good thing. It was a good thing for Zechariah and Elizabeth. But like any earthly desire we may have or any earthly blessing, it may be a good thing, but it must not become an ultimate thing. It must not become what we need in order to find joy or fulfillment or satisfaction. That then becomes an idol. Even a good thing can become an idol. Zechariah had another good desire, to serve the Lord faithfully. And we see him fulfilling that, but even beyond that, in a specific way, we're not told much about this culturally, but there were divisions of priests that would come to the temple, and usually on like a two-week rotation. You'd get your assignment two weeks a year. You'd go to the temple in Jerusalem from all the region of Judea, and uh, that would, they, likely they were in the Bethlehem area, and so it meant going and staying for two weeks and serving faithfully uh, in the temple grounds, all the ministries that took place as people came to offerings, the worship of the Lord, prayers. Well, in this specific uh, in, in a specific day, there was lots cast for the one priest from that division of uh, dozens or even hundreds, depending on the size of that division of priests serving. One, one, a lot was cast, and one name was drawn to go into the temple that day and light the incense right near the Holy of Holies in the holy place, an incredible honor. And there were often so many priests that it was very rare, in fact, sometimes prohibited, that a priest would ever do it twice so if his name was drawn by Lot, he would no longer be in that drawing. Next go around. Zechariah, faithfully serving the Lord year after year for those two weeks, had his name in the, in the lots day after day after day, and for year after year after year had been not drawn. Passed over, forgotten. He's advanced in years, 
It's perhaps there's no one or not many older priests than him whose name is still in the mix. Imagine that day after day with that longing for just that simple honor. And probably as a young man, it started out with, oh, one day mine will come. That will be, that will be so neat. What a blessing. It wasn't just going into the temple to light some incense, but in that holy place to pray on behalf of all Israel. And then to come out of the temple, they would pronounce the ironic blessing from Numbers chapter six. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. They would proclaim that within, at, within the temple courts. So a great honor, a good longing. Imagine that longing growing year after year, day after day when your name's not drawn. And then at some point, you realize all these others have been chosen ahead of you. God has chosen them by lot ahead of you over and over and over again until now you're looking around and everyone looks at you and says, your name is still in? At your age? And you wonder if they're questioning the very same thing that you're questioning. Have you done something to offend God that year after year he wouldn't choose you? And Zechariah remains faithful and does not come up with an excuse to not go and serve, though he's advanced in years, but he goes faithfully. Is it possible that his hope in that privilege and that honor had died or dwindled in the same way that a hope for a child was? Here's this man who now has to question, God, have you overlooked me? Have I done something to not be chosen by you, to be under reproach by you? I hear and feel what people are saying. Even if, they're, even if they aren't saying it, we can build up shame upon ourselves. Our identity, though, is not attached to earthly things, positions, honors, people. But we certainly can relate to Zechariah, can't we? And then on this ordinary day, what do you say, a Tuesday in August? This day like so many others, and maybe Zechariah isn't even listening anymore for the name to be called out, and yet it is his name. Zach, this Zechariah was probably a common name, so me? A glimmer of hope that God hasn't forgotten. Zechariah had envisioned that moment his whole life, longed for it, prayed for it, and what must have seemed like God not answering prayers or saying no becomes wait trust me. And Zechariah starts to hear God answering his prayer in a different way than he ever would have thought. This once-in-a-lifetime honor, this dream of Zechariah's would be far surpassed. Imagine that. It had been at the high point of a, a priest's life, this vision of being able to have this honor, and yet God was about to surpass it, as if he's saying the waiting has been more than worth it. I'm about to do more than you could ask or imagine. He makes his face to shine upon him. He pours out his grace upon him. And then, instead of being able to pronounce the ironic blessing, this becomes an ironic blessing to Zechariah. His doubt at the words of Gabriel make him mute, and he cannot pronounce the ironic blessing. And maybe by charades tried to proclaim it nonetheless, and they had to wonder what he was up to. You know, the angel Gabriel hadn't appeared for 500 years since he had appeared to Daniel 
And if you study that, there's some similarities that I won't be able to dig into here. Uh, Some things that would have come to mind for Jewish readers as they heard uh, how God had fulfilled and was fulfilling his promise. The voices of the prophets had essentially been silent for 400 years, at least in the ones that were recognized messianic promises, ending with Malachi, about 400 years, and now God is speaking again in the same tone as in Malachi. You'll hear the words. And now the man who hadn't been chosen his whole life, God chose. An incredible moment. 1 Corinthians 1.27, Paul says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Even the things that are empty and longing, God has chosen to make abundant and to fulfill so that no human being might boast before the presence of the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We know that Zechariah wasn't praying for a son. I'm fairly certain of it, though many believe that he was, and it's kind of how it reads. Gabriel shows up, your prayer has been heard, and you will have a son through Elizabeth. But we know that he wasn't praying for a son, one, because the priest's The priest's job in that moment was to pray on behalf of all Israel, to pray for the deliverance of Israel, to pray for the fulfillment of the messianic promises. God, rescue. God, send the promised Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Bring him for our rescue and deliverance. That was his role in that point. We also know by evidence of his disbelief that that wasn't his prayer. Lord, how shall this be? He's taken off guard. I'm advanced in years and my wife. Sounds like Abraham before him, doesn't it? Good company. By his very doubt, it shows that he had let this dream die. And I'm sure with some more irony, maybe a deeper meaning, when Gabriel says, your prayer has been heard, it's not just that one in that moment, but he's heard, God has heard your prayer, Zechariah, your whole life. And he's answering this prayer, God rescue, God deliver us, bring your Messiah. I'm answering that prayer. And you will have a son who will proclaim his way, who will prepare the way for this Messiah. And he will be a sign to you and to all who believe that this greater prayer has been answered. So he's answering a much bigger prayer beyond Zechariah and Elizabeth, and yet he's writing them into the story, about to bless them and pour out his grace upon them in a way that they couldn't even imagine. Another sign that became a blessing, I believe. Gabriel said to Zechariah, shut up. Just stop. As if this wasn't enough. Let me redirect your faith. Let me remind you of what you have prayed. Shut up and believe. And for 10 months, he's unable to speak. He becomes mute. Later, they're making signs to him, so you wonder if he can even hear either. Maybe he's deaf and mute for these 10 months coming up. All he could do in those 10 months was to Watch and listen, wonder and pray. For all who are wondering in a fearful way with anxiety or trembling or worrying or maybe all of the above, maybe what we need most is to watch and listen and not speak and not complain, but to wonder in a whole new way what God is doing. I just have to wonder in this way, when he comes out and he is making, he's making charades to them, 
How do you communicate that? For those, you've played charades, right? And you draw the card that says, your wife will conceive in a miraculous way and have a son going forward in the power of the prophet Elijah. That's your card. Your friend just got my little pony. I mean, this is not fair. How, how, do, you, how do you do that in charades? I just want to I, I go there and think about it. Maybe he, maybe he was able to write. That could work. But for the next 10 months, Zechariah can only watch and listen, wonder and hope. And that's a good reminder for us as well. Zechariah had prayed his lifetime, and Elizabeth too, for a son. But God was going to give them not just a son, but one that was greater than any who had ever lived to that point. How do we know that? Jesus said in Luke 7, 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, John the Baptist. So that means greater than Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Daniel, and the list goes on and on. How is that possible? God has a wholly different way, doesn't he? And as I've said before, both homophones work. A wholly different economy, a wholly different timing, a wholly different rating system of greatness. Not in earthly positions or honors or powers or possessions or people, but in his grace. And he poured out his grace upon this old couple and then upon this young baby who would be filled from his womb with the Spirit. God's grace alone. Now John would grow in that wisdom and that grace and that humility, that story that God had poured out everything and filled him with his, his spirit because when he had the chance to assert his greatness, when he was proclaiming the way of the Lord and people came to him and said, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Who are you? Recognizing something of his, his power of, of the spirit and he said, I'm none of these. I am but a voice crying out in the desert. That's it. Give me no name because there's one coming after me, the great one, who will have name above name. He will be the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Ancient of Days, and on and on. I am not even fit to untie his laces on his sandals, he will say. He grew into that same humility because of the grace of God poured out on his life. Amazingly, Jesus went on to say, though there's none greater than John, I tell you that the least one in the kingdom is greater than he. A wholly different economy. The one who has shown grace and brought into the kingdom, even the least, no earthly position or power or pleasure or possession, that's not the measure of our worth, they are not the source of our hope. As I begin to wrap this thing up, let's not miss how this passage begins. That makes sense now, doesn't it, to go right back to the beginning? In the days of Herod, king of Judah. This is Herod the Great, who has changed the landscape of Jerusalem architecturally, physically, maybe more than any other person. Without time to go into the works that he did, they were significant. Let's leave it at that. Made the most massive, maybe, structure, one of the most massive structures and glorious buildings in all of the world at that time as he rebuilt the temple. This is not a story about Herod the Great. This is a story about Jesus the Great. Not king just of Judah, but king of the world. 
Herod's life on earth would make an impact on a city and in history, but Jesus' life on earth would make an impact in the world and on eternity. Herod would rule by force. Jesus would rule by love. Herod was known to murder ruthlessly all who would oppose him or challenge his power. Jesus came and willingly was murdered, laid down his life even for those who opposed him. A wholly different economy. And so just when we think, and let this build your hope, just when we think evil might seem to be winning, ruling, reigning, in our very circumstances or certainly in the world as a whole, when it seems that God is not at work or has withdrawn or has overlooked or it may even be punishing and we wonder in that way, let's be reminded that he might be ready to show up and change our world and our life in the most unexpected way. Though we should be expecting and anticipating, he might still yet surprise us to be continued in the next few weeks. We know it was a long spiritual journey for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but it seems that they've made it. They've come out the other side, faithful and striving and hoping in something far bigger than themselves. And really, the answer to their prayer, their answer to the, probably the most common prayer that they had ever prayed for a son, that was answered, but God was also answering their prayer for a savior in a far more significant way. Earthly blessings will never fulfill, and the sooner we come to realize that, the better. In some kind of irony, it's only when we are empty that we can truly be filled. It's when our want of earthly blessings is unmet that makes us turn to something other and something more. It's when we receive earthly blessings and find that they do not fulfill and satisfy that we might turn to a whole different source of spiritual blessing. We often don't come to know this reality, this holy other reality and economy until we actually deal with loss and grief and pain or barrenness. When Jesus said, In Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, blessed are those who suffer. Here's the promise, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, for they will be comforted, for they shall be satisfied. And perhaps the abundance of earthly things, provisions, people, positions, honor, or pleasures are not what we need most. And maybe when their loss comes, though it is painful, what it does to our soul and our heart is what we need most desperately. As we're reminded of these promises, as we enter in to this story, as we see ourselves like Zechariah and Elizabeth with a longing, with a wondering of God's faithfulness and goodness, They will be reminded of the promises that that would build our hope because he has done it, he will do it again. And even if that's not in my life, even if those dreams have died, Lord, there is something so much more. All things 
are possible. Zechariah and Elizabeth experienced that in a radical way. So too will we if we have eyes to see. Watch, listen, hope this season. Remember, anticipate, and believe. And maybe this would be our prayer. May our only words, think of Zechariah, unable to speak, assuming that won't happen to us, though some spouses might wish it would happen for their spouse. Maybe our only words, Lord, give us a consciousness that our only words today and in this season will be ones of praise, ones of thanks, ones of hope, ones of grace, ones of wonder at who you are, what you've done, and what you've promised to do. And we have that privilege now as we get to continue to sing in response. So team, come and lead us. As we respond, this is our regular rhythm, we respond to God's word with worship. That may be through songs sung and praises lifted. It may be through heart change, through surrender of trust in idols, That is just as much worship as we are proclaiming. He is worthy, not these things I've been clinging to. Lord, help me. Worship as we come to the table. And there's elements there in the back. If you're a guest with us, the table is open to any who are followers of Jesus or even beginning the journey and saying, I'm turning from things of this world. Jesus, help me. I want more of you. You are welcome to the table. Jesus invited those at his table, though they knew not fully who he was and what he was about to do. That's ultimately all of our reality. Lord, we see you, Jesus. We want more of you, and yet there's so much more we are yet to see, a timing that we don't understand, the fulfillment of your word that we've yet realized. So we come in faith, we come in hope, we come in emptiness to be filled. Jesus, fill us again. And we have a chance to give and give generously as a response to what he's done and poured into our lives. If you're still trying to figure out the text giving app, maybe pause on that and work on it afterward. But respond generously as you are led, and not just today, but in the season to come. Pray, God, what do you have for me? How do you want me to give? Maybe my service, my gifts will proclaim you and your hope and change the world as much as any of my words ever could. Let's pray. Father, make us a people of hope. Build our hope where it is lacking and waning. Give us your eyes to see. We want to see you, Jesus. Emmanuel, you have come, and King Jesus, you are coming again. We proclaim these promises in your word and now through these songs. We receive all that you want to pour into our life. Fill us, Lord. And if we need to be made empty first, empty us, Lord that we might be full of you and you alone and trust in you and you alone and hope in you and you alone for your glory and our joy. Amen.